0: welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I'm your host, Roy Turner. Now, you've heard me say this many times before, but I truly believe that we have never had a bigger show than what we have this week. It is my honor to tell you that our guest this week is none other than screen legend and Hollywood royalty, Faye Dunaway. Uh, I'm as as in awe as you are uh, hearing that but just by saying it. Uh, This year uh, is the 50th anniversary of, of course, was her first uh, screen turn in the legendary film Bonnie and Clyde. And uh, a lot of things happened in 1967 that we're going to be talking about all throughout this program. Uh, We spoke with Faye uh, a few, about, about, about 10 days ago at the Dallas International Film Festival, where, again, the theme was 1967 and celebrating, you know, films, and just kind of the attitude, because there was just so much kind of going on <clears throat> that year. A lot of people were really taking chances, in music, and, and art, and film, and and just really blazing this really incredible trail. If you were to look at the lineage of 1967, when you think about entertainment, I mean, the, the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper, uh, the Doors' first record, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix's Are You Experienced, along with you know films like *The Graduate* and again *Bonnie and Clyde*. So we're very, very excited to um, to have the opportunity to speak with Faye and uh, and have her on the show this week, discussing the legacy of the film and many other things that she's got going on. Um, we also have the cast of, of *Bomb City*, <clears throat> a great film, one of the best that I that I think that I saw, at least that I saw of the entire festival. So we're going to be speaking with Laura Lee Link later. Uh the star of the film, of course, daughter of of Texas film legend uh Richard Linklater, who made, of course, a lot of your favorite films, a lot of my favorite films, <clears throat> uh, like Daisy Confused, and and largely namely the uh the trilogy that with Ethan Hawke and, uh, and Julie Delby, the before sunrise uh, trilogy. So we're gonna be speaking with her uh and the entire cast of Bomb City and talking about that. It uh it's a very important film about something that, that real life happened in uh, in Emerald, Texas. About uh, talking about just a, a a collision of of society and culture that was kind of at, at odds with itself, and so that very much parallels what was happening in 1967. So uh, again, like I said, we have a great, great, great show. We're going to be playing some 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 music. We're going to be talking again, like I said, with with screen legend Faye Dunaway, the cast of of Bomb City. Uh, Lordly Link later the star of the film, and many many more. Uh, I also have a long time a person I've been trying to get on the show for a very long time who's gonna be joining us a little bit later. Uh, I try to tend this to be a bit of a family affair, and I've had different family members and you know different people that I think that could contribute uh, you know to this program and so naturally, I wanted my mother Patricia to come on at some point, and she actually uh Offers some great, great insight to the year 1967, as well as a little addendum to uh, to Faye Dunaway, uh Dunaway's career, uh, especially later on. Whenever she starred as uh, as uh, playing the role of Joan Crawford in Mommy Theorist. there was, was a story that I had heard my mom talk about for you know throughout my entire life. So I thought you know there's a no better opportunity uh, you know to get her on the show to actually to tell that story. It deserves to be told. So I'm excited for you guys to hear all that. So we're about to get started here. So so let's go ahead and jump right on in here. Like I said, we mentioned we're, we're celebrating the year 1967. Um, and also and talking about all the great things that, that, that took place in, you know, in, in the world. A lot, a lot of turmoil, of course, was happening in that, that year uh, politically and socially in the United States. But, man, like, like anything else, a lot of great art always comes out of a, a, a lot of great struggle. So, but in 1967, it's unthinkable to think, um, you know, so The Doors came out with their first album. Uh, You know, the whole human being in San Francisco that was happening there with Timothy Leary and Allen Ginsberg and all that. This was the year that the Rolling Stones appeared on the old Ed Sullivan show to do Let's Spend the Night Together, but had to change the lyrics to Let's Spend Some Time Together, to which we all know, speaking of The Doors, whenever they did uh, Light My Fire, uh, he, you know, of course, Jim Morrison famously was asked to change the lyric of "Girl, we couldn't get much higher" to "Girl, we couldn't get much better." To wit, he responded by actually going up and accentuating the word "higher" directly into the camera. So, uh, rebellion was in the air, man, and that, w- that was just in January. Uh, so much, again, uh, you know, happened uh, that year. It's you know uh, like like Aretha Franklin recorded uh, respect um, you know let's see here uh, the Who debuts with you know their their first concert in the U S uh, just so many many things happened uh, that year the debut album I said did the Jimmy Hendrix Experience Are You Experienced um, and then the, you know the Beatles just dominated that year this is where uh, it was the year that Paul McCartney of course met Linda McCartney. And what a lot of people uh, believe that, and a lot of people think that the Beatles released their, um, you know, their, their greatest record ever, the, the magnum opus of which was of course the album *Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band*. Now they were in a, in a really, you know, unique situation that year because they already had decided to, you know, they weren't going to play live anymore, so they were just strictly now a studio band so with that you know there were no limitations about having to worry about having to play any of these songs live anymore so you know you have to think about that when, when a band records things they think well gosh how are we going to reproduce this in a live setting so when you take that out of the out of the, the equation all rules go out the window all bets are off and it was with that mindset again coupled with the the sense of of Innovation and rebellion and a sea change that was going on not just in America but everywhere in 1967 bird the, the masterpiece that is that is Sgt. Pepper. Now, I also uh, mentioned that because again it's celebrating uh, 50 years, uh, and so to commemorate that for the first time ever since the anthology uh, released about 25 years ago. The Beatles have opened their vaults and are releasing the recordings in this giant 50th anniversary edition of the of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, it's a big giant box set that's coming out. There's alternative takes of each song. In some cases, it's drastically different. And it, but it really offers just these really revelatory insights. And to what, like I said, like you know, it's really not to be disputed. Is that this is the most legendary of of all rock masterpieces just by the way that it was, you know, designed and sculpted, the album cover alone, lots of great facts about this record, I could go on and on about it, it was the most expensive packaging at the time, Uh, and so I would love to play you the whole box set right now, but I just wanted to play you uh, one track, probably my favorite song from it, uh, is the song When I'm 64, Um, so even though it's only 50 years old, uh, but it's always one of my favorite songs, so it's a song that always kind of makes me happy, and there's a great alternate take uh, from the box set that I wanted to play. So the song of the, of the week uh, is going to be When I'm 64 from the Beatles, from the upcoming 50th anniversary, celebrating the, the masterpiece that was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Again, a great take uh, from the upcoming uh, Sgt. Pepper's uh, box set that's coming up celebrating 50 years of, of that, that masterpiece. So, okay, so I'm excited to talk about Bomb City. Um it's a movie that's screened at the Dallas International Film Festival. It's uh, directed by Jameson Brooks. Uh, he's also a, an, 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 uh, sorry, an Emmy Award winner. And uh, it's based on a true story of, of a guy named Brian Uh, uh it's, a, it's a crime drama. It's about the cultural version of a group of punk rockers, you know, kind of like in a, in a conservative Texas town. Now, me, I grew up a total metal guy in a very small town right outside of Fort Worth where I was persecuted just for having long hair. Uh, You know, I mean, I was literally, you know, a kid, 13, 14, good kid. On the honor roll, the whole bit, it did not matter. Uh, The fact of the matter was, was that it was in the the late 80s, early 90s. I had long hair uh, and that was it. And so I couldn't even walk to school in the morning without adults yelling out the window. Sinners at me, telling me to get a haircut. Uh, so you can imagine how this really struck a chord with me, and, and even if I didn't have that experience, it would still strike a chord with anybody, because what it really does is that it questions the morality of American justice, because, um, again, I'm sure you're probably familiar with the case of, of Brian Deneke. It, it made national headlines, of course, about this unbelievable hate crime that, that, that took place and which tried to be covered up, so I'm glad, uh, you know, for this story to be told, I'm, I'm you know, there's. This is in, in, a, in, in, a sense, in a sense of justice for Brian, and it's just a great, great, great uh, movie. Uh, music from Cody Chick. Like I said, uh, Laura Lee, Linklater, uh, is fantastic in it. And we're going to talk with Laura Lee. Uh, we're going to talk with uh, with uh, Glenn Morshauer and, of course, Jameson Brooks, the director, coming up. And hear what they have to say uh, as we spoke to them on the red carpet at the Dallas International Film Festival. Uh, the day before there's the, they made their screening there uh, for Bomb City. I don't know when the actual release is. I know it has a limited release right now in different theaters, but definitely go see this film. So now I bring you the cast of Bomb City. How are you guys? i the cast of Bomb City. So what was the most challenging part about making this film?
1: Wow. Well, what group you guys should have come from? Um, um, I heard about this film a little bit. I thought it was a really interesting clash between cultures and everyone. Um, it was the punks, which you guys played. Right. Jocks, which I played. Seems, you know, clash and personalities and so on. So that's what really drew me to it, is, is being the project that really showed that, you know, that kind of clash. So. Now, do you come from like a DIY punk rock kind of background? Um, yeah, more metal. I mean, that high school, we obviously don't bother, so. This project took me immediately because like, it's just real. You know, sure. it happened, it's a true story, and it's a raw film. Everything about yeah. it, the energy, the acting, I mean, everything. This
0: is just going to, people are going to remember this one. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys so much. We're so looking forward to it. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thank you. so much. And I've been asked to ask if you were part of the person who a picture of
1: the
2: piece
1: When I start talking, <laughs> <I'm> getting, <yeah. laughs> no pity, oh, I I, was, I I was just telling you, I forget about the dinner of my place. Oh, oh no, you're good. Man. You're good. Man. awesome. Hi. Hey, excuse me. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. I'm Chris Gardner. Hi. Hi. I'm Chris Gardner with WFAA. Hi. I'm Chris Gardner with WFAA, and uh, you guys are all here at the Dallas National Festival Festival. Uh, uh, I'm sure that you guys are all excited to be here, right? You're all pumped up and ready to do it. Right. Uh, not tired at all. Uh, what, uh, what do you think is the most exciting thing to this Besides the film, obviously, because you're repping, right. uh, what is it you are most excited to do and see? Um, I guess just everyone, you know, it's like a reunion. We just got to do the films a year we'll ago to be back and with everyone and celebrating these beautiful the films. But, uh, yes, and would you mind telling me the type of film? And, uh, maybe a of I'd like to bring it to any kind of a potluck or party. it's Bob City, and it's yeah. a hit-run um, about a few of 1997 <laughs> Some clashed, and they're looking that in And, uh, yeah, uh, it's a two-story. And would you say, like, tuna casserole, or like a baked ziti or something like that? Uh, tuna casserole, yes. Okay, okay. and And here's the same question. <laughs> just, a, just a regular domestic, you like, Teresa or anything? <laughs> Yeah, it's good. <laughs> good. Like a panko. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even mean, remember. Uh, something about. Uh, movie? Yeah, the movie. Uh, so you you were in a movie about a mohawk <laughs> and the <laughs> terrible thing that he fell uh, at the hands of some jocks who get away with everything. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that. How did, how did the, you guys get attracted to the project? Uh, you, are you familiar about the story before it happened? Uh, I wasn't. <laughs> I it's going to be I that was a story that I actually followed very closely when it happened. That doesn't matter to any of you, but I said it to every other person that was yeah, part of the movie, so I said it to you too. Now, you, same question. Clever dish, why are you here? Cover dish. Ooh, man, I gotta bring some bacon no. mac. Bacon mac? Uh, I'm gonna snowball. I'm gonna snowball. Yeah, how do you think about him totally to and back in my I'm, I'm, I'm gonna improve it. I'm gonna improve I'm gonna put bacon in there. Oh he's gonna I make it just better I see. Might I might see. Mine's vegetarian. Pizza all day. Alright, well that's good. Okay. So when can people see Palm City? Tomorrow. Tomorrow Saturday. Tomorrow or Saturday. Tomorrow at Magnolia at seven seven o'clock. I believe, and I think Uh,
0: Again, I want to thank the cast of Bomb City uh, for joining us. It was a great opportunity to be able to speak with them. Uh, And again, the the film is fantastic. It's an important film. It's an important story. Uh, Shot beautifully. The sound, it succeeds as a film. But again, the message behind it is certainly something uh, that deserves and uh, and needs to be uh, to, to be to be seen. So, so look for Bomb City uh, It should be coming out uh, in less of a limited release here um, in the spring, and of course, into the summertime for sure. And uh, I believe that there's a, also there's a, there's a film site. So if you just go to BombCityFilm.com, you'll be able to uh, see a trailer and uh, be able to find out a little bit more about when you can, you know, whenever you can see the film. So, uh, moving on, like I said, th- so this. The trajectory, like I said, of 1967. So to continue the theme of of music and kind of rebellion and and youth culture and things like that, uh, another great film that I saw, this was actually a documentary uh, called called Cassette, a mixtape documentary. Now, I grew up in the the era where, you know, you can talk about what your preferred format is. Everybody loves records. Um, We have the upcoming Record Store Day coming up. This uh, this Saturday, um, actually, April 21st. So I'm sorry. um, Excuse me. April 23rd. Forgive me. Thank you. Um, So before we jump into the next thing here, I wanted to talk about that just for a second uh, to kind of do some 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 plug in here just for a second. Again, you can find us each and every week. shows just like this on iTunes. Just go to iTunes and type in Tricky Kid Radio, and it'll come right up. Click that subscribe button. It keeps the lights on here at Tricky Kid Radio, and you'll see shows just like this each and every week into your iTunes uh, for free. Android users, you're not out in the cold. You can sort do the exact same thing, or you can stream us at trickykid.com. That's tricky-kid.com. And also it's across every platform like you know Burberry and My Favorite Podcast and Spotify, all all the good stuff there. So, so make sure you go to TrickyKid.com. dot uh, com. It's tricky kidcom And then you can also uh, you know go to Twitter, type in tricky kid in the number two. And you'll be able to uh, uh, go ahead and and give us a follow there. You'll be able to to, to learn about other upcoming stuff, big shows like this this week, and a lot of great stuff coming up. My alter ego, uh, again, I'm a professional DJ. It's DJ Tricky Kid. And so, again, this Saturday, I'll be out and about on April 23rd in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. My man, Tech Force, that I perform with a lot, is going to be performing in Arlington at the Game Over store. Uh, make sure you check that out. I'll be making appearances at different record stores all throughout the Microplex this coming Saturday. Lots of great releases. Uh, also, when you go to trickykid.com, click on if you uh, are in need for some office furniture, click on the banner that says Office Furniture to go. You buy something, they do a couple of bucks back our way, and uh, again, it keeps us keeps us rolling. So we thank you for that. A couple other appearances. As you know, I also do the wrestling uh, announcement for IHWE. We have a big event coming up on May 21st. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Uh, lots and lots and lots of great stuff coming up that we're I'm excited to, uh, to tell you about. So, but the best way to follow that is again to follow us on Twitter uh, at uh, Tricky Kid at number two. And on Facebook at Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. And also check out my DJ page, DJ Tricky Kid. <clears throat> okay, so. Another film I saw, like I said, in the spirit of music and youth culture and rebellion and just all types of good things was a documentary called Cassette, a mixtape documentary. Now, again, you can say what your favorite formats are, but if you grew up in the era that I did and as poor as I did, your format was what you were given or what you could afford. Now, I romanticize about vinyl. It's my favorite format. I believe it's the best one. Uh, My adult self wouldn't say this, but my teenage self would have said, you can't roll a joint on a digital download, right? So anyway, um, and I love this big uh, comeback that that vinyl has done. It's a real movement with this record store day. I mean, they they signed an ambassador at the nonprofit thing. Last year, the ambassador was Metallica, for Christ's sake, one of the biggest bands in the world, who performed at a small record store in Berkeley, California, and even did a house show. Uh, or performed at uh, the the house that Master of Puppets was performed uh, was written and recorded in. Uh, it doesn't really get back to your roots much more than that. So I love that all these new releases are coming back out in vinyl, and there's this big movement. And but I definitely grew up in the time where I had more cassettes than I had albums. Uh, I was in the in the 80s, and they were easier to come by. They were you could buy blank cassettes was what I mainly remember. You, you're not buying buying blank you know vinyl records that you're recording on. And of course, recording stuff off the radio, you could record your own voice for the first time. It was, it became, you know, it made it mobile. Everybody, of course, remembers the old, uh, you know, battery operated tape recorders with the buttons in the front and the top loading thing. I mean, just good shit, man. Good times. And an extension of that was, of course, was this was a way for you to express your own art and your own feelings or your own recordings. This this, this was really the first podcast back in the day. but. The time-honored tradition of the mixtape—not only for yourself, but how you would express how you felt about somebody else—you know, the your loved one, or the object of your affection, or the girl at school, or your neighbor, whoever you were—you were digging on, and you were feeling. This is how you were able to express that when the words weren't coming as as, as well as they would later on as an adult. So. This uh, is a great documentary that really kind of captures the spirit of all of that, not only the innovation of it from a technical standpoint, but also, you know, just the kind of the romanticized part of it. Because it's, it's still something, uh, you know, that I actually I do miss, you know, I mean, I later on I made, you know, mixed CDs and, and you can still kind of do that. But there there's something very cool about that. And, and again, in the spirit of, of we're talking about punk rock with, you know, with Bomb City. It offers some great insight from Henry Rollins, of course, Ian, my man Ian Mackay from Fugazi and uh, Thurston Moore, and a, and, a, and a lot of great things. So, because that's how a lot of their music was heard was through the tape trading, um, the uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of brotherhood there. So, so there's something also very, very punk rock and DIY about the cassette. So, uh, again, a great film. So I'm going to play you the trailer from a, a cassette, a mixtape documentary.
2: Using a tape recorder can be a big bother. That was before we reinvented tape recording. This is the compact cassette.
1: Here is a photo of an enormous cassette. I made it in pieces
2: and threw it away.
0: This is my first ever cassette. The cassette could do your own dealio.
1: Cassette, like, was your gateway into creativity. Cassettes didn't play a role in hip hop in the early days cassettes, war hip-hop. There was no rap
2: radio, there was no video, there was nothing.
1: And There's something about that electric sound that is amazing. For me, it was as good as it gets. The craziest thing, it's not that over. I realize that there are numbers of people who are still using it. Every artifact might die with whatever is digital. If you still have any tape, it's because you care about it. You
0: choose to keep it alive.
2: If you threw away all your old music cassettes, you might be kicking yourself now. Tapes are making a comeback.
0: We are making more audio cassettes now than we have ever made before.
1: We expected it would be a success, but not a revolution.
0: also how i ended uh the festival uh said i began with uh you know with faye dunaway and uh and bonnie and clyde which i'm about to bring you here in a second uh but i wanted to to, real quickly i wanted to talk about a movie called before i fall starring uh uh, zoe duch uh fantastic film uh it was the the the, the perfect send-off because you know the festival was like 10 days long and and like I said, I saw Bonnie and Clyde to start with. Saw a bunch of films in between. Of course, we mentioned Bomb City and and uh, cassette tape uh, documentary, and many many others. Uh, but the great exclamation point on the uh, at the end of the festival really was this movie called Before I Fall. There was a great Q and A uh, lead into it, led by John Wildman. I mentioned earlier the the PR guru of the festival, along with uh, with director uh, Russo Young. So uh, so Zoe and and Russo and John. Uh, intro to this fantastic film called before i fall and it's out now i believe um and and it should also be be coming to uh, all the streaming services like hulu and, and netflix and everything else this is an, a very very important film and a great great uh, uh show that I, I really really get get a lot of mileage out of so check out before i fall i'm gonna play you that that trailer real fast as well Here, check this out
1: Maybe for you there's a tomorrow. Maybe there's 1,000 or 10. But for some of us, there's only today. You know, kissed the hottest boys, went to the sickest parties. Damn, big party tonight. My mom's going out of town. <laughs> oh my god. What's she doing here? Watch this. <laughs> this whole high school things, just a blip. <laughs> Mommy says you have to get up. It's Saturday. Maybe for you, there's a tomorrow. What happened last night? What are you talking about? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> this is so funny. i
2: been having deja vu all day long. It's all high
1: school things. Just a blip. Watch out for the truck. What truck? Regardless of anything I do or say, the day starts and ends the same. My mom's going out of town, town as can. You're having a party? Yeah, how'd you know? Rob? What? I'm freaking out. Are you in trouble? You can trust me. Mom, huh? do you think I'm a good person? It doesn't matter what I think. It's important is what you think. Sociopath. 12 o'clock. Why do we hate Juliet? Why do you care all of a sudden? Yesterday you said you were afraid she would bite you. That was a long time ago. That was yesterday. Juliet, wait! If I was going to relive the same day over and over, I want it to be a day that would make a difference. Not just for me. I just need to hold on for one more minute.
0: You know, we already talked about the music aspect of it, and you know, there were so many movies uh, that came out in 1967. Like I said, namely, of course, you know, uh, 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 Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, uh, The Graduate, of course, and Bonnie and Clyde, uh, starring Warren Beatty and, of course, our guest this week, Bay Dunaway. Now, uh, what's so funny uh, is that, you know, you think about that, you know, because you, you never think about Faye Dunaway never like not being a star, <laughs> you know, it's like she's just, just kind of just born this royalty. Um, now, uh, one thing, of course, if anybody, of course, saw the Oscars this year, there was a reason why for the, you know, the big award at the end, they reunited Bonnie with Clyde, Faye Dunaway with Warren Beatty to give away, uh, to, to announce the, uh, the big award. Is to show you that of all the films from that year, that one is such a classic with these two, these two legends. Now we're not going to get into the whole Oscar snafu thing with Warren Beatty, and and if you think that I even remotely would have had the, the audacity to even bring it up, uh, you would uh, you should be ashamed of yourself, and and you would uh, think have thought wrong. So we had a great talk about the history of the film and uh, some poignant moment, moments in it, and this is keep in mind just moments before she uh did A, Q&A, uh actually inside the theater before the actual screening uh and she still looks great she was fantastic and you know i hadn't seen the movie really since i, I was a kid and only had seen it in bits and pieces and was able to really kind of see it as an adult for the first time god just what 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 an amazing film this is and so uh so live from the red carpet uh from the Dallas International Film Festival, it's my pleasure and honor I said I can't even believe that I am saying it that uh, that we bring you uh screen legend and Hollywood royalty fade down away..
2: Okay. 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 Hi, How
0: are you? My name is Roy Turner. I'm with NXA Radio and also Triple okay. Kid Radio. Right oh, okay. Uh, I wanted okay. to ask you, in so years of audience life, when you look back on that, what is the one thing, the one thing that sticks out to you? <laughs> I'm not going to say it
2: again. I've <laughs> no. said it 20
1: times. Again. Maybe I can think about What thing that sticks out at all? No, I mean, the new jerk thing. <laughs> well, it's just a very the tragedy oh, I the these
2: two were off what? that was
0: my experience <laughs> 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 I mean I guess it was
2: even part of the or something like that no my favorite is when I'm on the bed I'm doing my nails and then and uh, then uh, some kind of fun in the next and Warren is calling me, catches me, and says, um, and I say, she's no, realized, this is, she So he takes her, and she says, I wanted to give her a necklace, which I was wearing back, which I never had <laughs> right,
1: You ready to go? I
2: right? was yes. taking this off, my dear, no, And I gave it to her, said, we'll be back oh, Five yeah, yeah. So yeah. that, be yeah. So this woman, she
0: was
1: an actress. She was not an actress.
0: She was yes. actress. <laughs> right. Right. That's my moment. That is fantastic. Hey, thank you so much. You good to meet well. you. <laughs> want to thank miss Dunaway so much uh for joining us I mean what an honor and a privilege to get to speak with such a a hollywood legend and uh and just a, a screen royalty uh, you can never really, really remember a time when Faye Dunaway wasn't uh you know a star so it's amazing to think that this was her her first film uh, with with Bonnie and Clyde. Again, I want to thank John Wildman uh, for having us uh, there because I mean, what, what a great opportunity! What a what an amazing thing to be able to to, to speak so casually and, and candidly with, with such a an important film, uh, an important person uh, in the history of, of you know of Tinseltown. Uh, and she was so great. She was so generous, and we had such such a good time. And again, this was right before she went in to do a and uh, A. Q&A with a college professor from Houston right before the screening Uh If you haven't seen the film uh, ever, definitely see it. If you haven't seen it in a while, revisit it. It's it's You'll see why it is what it is, you know. So last but not least, certainly what I wanted to add was, was that for years, uh, you know, this is this is more about about, about fate anyway, but uh, Later, of course, she went on to be to star uh, in a movie called Mommy Dearest, which is a uh, it's it's an unfortunate tale about where she plays Joan Crawford and what it centers around. It's a movie that's based upon the book by Christina Crawford about the unspeakable abuse uh, that she that she dealt with. And Joan Crawford, I'm sorry, Faye Dunaway really, really, really. Turn, turns in a real tour de force uh, performance in this movie. To me, this movie was like a hard movie as a kid, because it was just like, I, you know, children being abused, and I was very, very young when it came out. I was only like five or six when it came out, and it scared me uh, intensely. Now, I was completely unaware of this, but I didn't realize that that this movie has become this kind of cultish, kind of almost unintentionally funny. I can't imagine what anybody would would would, would get out of it or what, uh, how they could find that funny. I mean, obviously, if they, you know, they knew the history of it, obviously not, but maybe on its own face as a meme, there might be some outrageous scene taken out of context that could be uh, construed. Um, and uh, But regardless, um, I had heard in, in my own family, my mom had told this story about, for years I'd heard, about a story that she had heard in her own family. So this is kind of a full circle thing. So here's what I'm getting at. So as long as I can remember, my mom had told me this story about how that her dad, uh, while they were in California, knew and was friendly with Joan Crawford's chauffeur. So she actually had heard about all of this stuff before the rest of the world did via Christina Crawford's book that came out around 77, 78. The movie came out in 81. And so, so for her, she had heard this story, and not that she didn't believe her dad or or believe the people that had told her, because what would they have to gain from it? But she had a particular uh, mission in reading the book, uh, Christina Carpenter's book, "Mommy Dearest," and then seeing the film to see how it compared to the stories that she had told. And so I thought, man, what a great opportunity! I, would, you know, wanting to have her on the show anyway, you know, meeting my mom. Uh, and I thought, you know what, this is going to be a perfect chance to you get know, on the show to tell that exact story. So um, uh, begrudgingly and reluctantly, uh, I, I welcome you, and I bring, or I welcome, uh, not from my reluctance, but she was reluctant to do it because she kind of tends to be a bit shy. But but it, it came out great, and uh, I'm so excited uh, that she uh, joined us this week. So this is my mother, Patricia. Uh, joining us to talk about uh, a little bit of insight to the actual real story about Joan Crawford, played by Faye Dunaway in the movie *Mommy Dearest*. Uh, playing the role of Bonnie, probably her one of her most famous roles uh, was where she played Joan Crawford in the movie *Mommy Dearest*. Okay. Now, do you remember? You remember the movie *Mommy Dearest*? Okay, what are you? What are your, your memories about 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 the movie or do you, around that time and seeing it?
2: Well, actually, I remember a lot about the book.
0: So, so did you read the book?
2: Yes, I read the
0: book. Okay, so the book came out just a few short years before the movie.
2: Right.
0: Okay, so what made you read the book?
2: I. There Dad met Joan Crawford's chauffeur. Wow. And they became great friends. And he your was dad, a- and
0: the chauffeur. Uh-huh. Gotcha. They okay.
2: Became great friends. And uh, Joan Crawford's chauffeur would come to the house and have dinner with the family, and they became you know really really close. And one afternoon, it uh, uh, they were sitting at the table eating, and uh, About how the children in the households were being
0: treated. Okay, so, so for our listeners out there, let let's let's kind of pause right there just for a second. So if you don't already know, of course, if Faye Dunaway plays, you know, the, the role of Joan Crawford in the book in the movie Mommy Dearest. Now Mommy Dearest was kind of this is was a, the name of the book, right? It was called Mommy Dearest. And yes. the reason why it was called that was because that's what Joan forced her children to call her, right? Yes. And is kind of a symbolism of kind of the of the abuse and kind of, of where she was at, kind of distraught. Now, Faye Dunaway does, in my opinion, does a fantastic job uh, in the movie. But one thing that maybe you didn't know, that that movie has become a cult favorite, but it's become something that is, believe it or not, become unintentionally funny. Now, you ask yourself, and, again, for those that aren't familiar with the book or the movie, what basically what it was was that Joan Crawford uh, allegedly, as a publicity stunt, adopted some children she had no intentions of, of caring for. Medicaid, medicine being what it was back then, she probably went largely undiagnosed as being bipolar or manic depressive. And, and so she, like, really, she was an alcoholic, a drug user, all of that stuff. That's not to be disputed. And she uh, really kind of took it out on the kids and and, and and some of her failures and lots of weirdness and stuff. So while this doesn't have anything to do with Faye Dunaway, the person, I just thought this would be a great opportunity for you to tell that story because of the connection. Because I remember when that movie came out, I remember being afraid of it. I remember, I mean, I was very young when it came out. And I remember being, I remember seeing the trailer. To me, it was a horror movie, you know, because it, it seemed so frightening. And I remember still seeing it as a young person, and being horribly afraid of, you know, so on that end, that's what we're talking about, Faye Dunaway's performance being effective. What do you remember about Faye Dunaway's performance in the actual movie?
2: Well, I guess what really came to mind since I had heard the story all my life. Right. And never knew for sure if it was really true. Okay. Uh, because this happened. Itself had been handed down to the family.
0: So why don't you start there then? So tell that actual story then. So, like you said, the chauffeur and your dad were friends. He would come over. Right. And this is long before, again, the movie or the book. Right. What what was what was the story that was handed down?
2: Well, he was just uh, telling everybody about how abusive uh, Joan was to the children and how she would make them take a toothbrush and and soak and clean You know, right, right.
0: And then you're just in the movie with the kind of depicts that too, yeah, right? right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, it, he, and that was one of the things that uh, he talked about her doing, but there was so many really uh, unsettling, very, you know, it always worried me. And right, right. Hearing the story as a child. And when the book came out, I had to read the book because I'd heard the story all my life. Okay?
0: Right, right. And so what's interesting to me about that is this. And this is where I want, want you to. Want you, jump in here, is that so in to the world at large there was no precedent of this being out, but you knew it.
2: Yes. So
0: when so when the book came out you were thinking, oh my god it's got to be true because she's writing a book about it.
2: Right, and I had to read it to find out. To,
0: to compare, and right?
2: And then I, then I realized oh, at least this story I'd heard all my life was absolutely
0: true. Because it had to be because it matched what... Well, well, let, let me, me ask you talk, that then. Yeah. Did, did when you read the book, did it match pretty much what the chauffeur had yes. said? Yes, it did. So yes. that had. So what was what was that like for you?
2: I I really will always believe the story. I think you know. I think I really believed it. This you know, this just gave me more you know uh, confidence to really believe that what had been told all my
0: were you kind of hoping, that, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you were probably hoping that it wasn't true, though, in, in the back of your mind, but, but, but what, what told you that it was, though, even before you read the book? Like, like, you kind of knew it, right, before you read the book?
2: Well, it's because of the conviction it was told. in
0: Sure. And what would, he, what would he have to gain from telling you guys? In fact, you were probably the only one that he could tell, and he had to get it off of his chest, right? right?
2: Because he had no reason to tell. Right, you know? right. And it was never repeated, you know, outside of that, you know. To illustrate
0: also what a trusted friend you, him and your dad were. What for our listeners, what round what year would would you have said that this that this was when he was when these dinners were taking place?
2: Oh my gosh. Uh
0: Well, I think Christina was was born in like in like thirty eight. I think 37, 38.
2: And that's very possible. So it might, it might have been a little bit later
0: than that. Well, in order for a child to be cleaning a bathroom, obviously, I mean, she had to have been at least around four or five. Right. You know right. what I mean. And so, so, but I think Christina was born like around like 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 around like thirty seven, thirty six. I have to I have to look it up. But, yeah,
2: uh, it's, it's possible because she was in her four. I know. I
0: think she was like less than ten years. Uh, you know. I think she was somewhere like in her forties, or maybe like when she wrote the book. Maybe she was just newly forty.
2: Yeah, know? it was strange when I saw the movie because it still had some of the same things, like you said a while ago. That i it was, you know, that I had been told, right? And was in the book, so it really made it more real, you know, to see it, you know, in, you know, being acted out in the movie.
0: Is that a testament to Faye Dunaway's performance? Oh, I'm sure. Now we've kind of lost our innocence as a society, so we, of course, couldn't imagine even as adults laughing at something like Mommy Dearest in nineteen eighty eighty one. Whenever it came out, and keep on because Joan had died in seventy six, I think the book came out just about eighteen months after the fact. It was a big thing that she had left them out of her will. You remember this, right? Right. And then the movie was the book was developed into a movie that was released in I think eighty eighty one but it's 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 crazy to think that in 2017 people are watching mommy dearest for comedic value okay they're probably not watching all 90 minutes of it but you know what course understand is, you know what memes are okay yes, yes. so the meme of like when so and so is saying like man you know this yard is dirty or, or 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 you know to to illustrate there's too much work ahead or you've kind of got you know, to kind of, to kind of lampoon, kind of an overbearing girlfriend or boss or whatever. There's the meme of Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford, you know, pushing, uh, you know, Christina, uh, you know, uh, you know, Crawford's face into the tile, saying it's not clean, and people laugh at this. well yeah. uh, of course not right and and that that's a good point too because I, I what they're seeing probably to them isn't an example or a dramatization of of real child abuse i think that to them it, they probably think this is probably like something that's supposed to be fun. yeah
2: i'm sure in this same time that you know most people don't know the history they don't know this was really
0: true right right exactly so uh now, so speaking of so 1967, so for so for you, talk about that year because kind of reason why they were showing the movie Bonnie and Clyde, uh, because and they were showing a lot of movies, because one of the, the themes from the Dallas International Film Festival this year was movies from 1967. Because there was a lot of a lot of first happened that year, a lot of lawlessness, a lot of a lot of a lot of pioneers that were kind of really being very trailblazing. Uh, and it was kind of like what they say now looking back it was kind of like the wild wild West because people were really trying a lot of different stuff uh, Bonnie and Clyde being one of them uh, a unique film certainly for its time and, and, and a classic for all ages talk a little bit about about what what are your memories of that film when you first saw it you know how you know what 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 person what was your life like in 1967
2: well in 19 19-
0: Okay, so you would have been, what, still pretty young, right, in, in early 20s, right? Uh-huh, well, Uh 24, 24, okay,
2: yeah, yeah. 24. Okay. 23, no, oh,
0: yeah, Sixty seven. yeah, 23, you're right. right, okay, you're right. so you were you're expecting you're your first right. child, at, no, your third, I'm sorry, third child, child at 23, okay, right. things a little bit different back then.
2: Okay. Okay. So I already knew all about Bonnie and Clyde before I ever went to see the
0: movie because they were like folk heroes, right? Yes, they yeah. were like
2: folk heroes in the South, you know. And so, uh, and of course, there was um, uh, uh, a story that was told that uh, my grandfather was friends with the Dalton Gang and all this. You know, right, right. All this kind of stuff. You know, they're really, really liked.
0: Sensationalistic that kind, of, kind, know, of, kind of tales, the floor right? Floor, you know, right. All
2: that. So I went to see the movie. Uh, I couldn't help but be sad at the end when they were shooting up the car. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you just couldn't help it.
0: Yeah. Spoiler alert, guys. Bonnie and Clyde don't make it to the entire. <laughs> sure sorry about that. <laughs> well, I mean, people, of course, know know <laughs> how how that story ends. So, right. you know. Right. Uh, there was something that that uh, that Faye had mentioned in the Q and a that was pretty amazing because she talked about that scene and it was very as you can imagine uh, you know uh, advanced technology at the time that she had to wear an exploding suit so what she was wearing was these things that had of course the blood packets that were on you know, like a dress that were triggered mm-hmm. so like so like whenever you hear the bullets and somebody off off screen of course would hit a button, like, on a row that would fire these packets. Right. And she said they had to do it twice. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine doing that gruesome, gruesome scene that must have been so challenging? Yeah, no. Twice. Uh-uh. No. Um, so, but you saw Bonnie and Clyde at the theater in, in 1967, correct? Yeah. And that was why it also was important because obviously I wanted you on the show, you know, regardless in any capacity. But I thought, well, this is perfect. Here is someone who actually saw Bonnie and Clyde, the year that, that, that it came out. What was was there a, a hysteria around the film at the time?
2: I don't remember a, a hysteria.
0: But- was she already an established star at that time, or was that new for her, or, or was this like, like like was this introducing her, or was she already an established star in, in term in from your perspective? Well,
2: you know, I really don't. Dunaway
0: being a star. Right. With what you, you equate Faye Dunaway with yes. royalty. Right. right. Yeah. So I really don't
2: know. I don't know. If
0: this is so what she probably was then, because if you can't remember a time when she wasn't royalty, then she probably was at that time. Right. Yeah. I, you know, what was funny is I, I had, of course, had seen clips of it throughout the years, but this was probably the first time I can remember as an adult actually sitting down to, into watching it. Of course, I loved it, you know, very much. And, uh, and I too was very sad at the end because, I mean, because it really is a tragic tale. I mean, these people aren't, like, you know, these horrible... I mean, I guess you could say, that, you know, the way they were depicted as horrible people. You know, they're bank robbers or they're killing innocent people. But it, it it all seemed to be out of this desperation. It seemed the narrative seemed to be this yearning to break free and just having to remorsefully and regretfully kind of break down the barriers that got in their way that they never chose or nor wanted. You know? well, it was kind yeah,
2: you know, because they were taking this money from the rich and giving it to the poor.
0: Right. Because, uh, was, if I remember correctly, this was uh, set during the depression. Right. Right. Okay, and everybody was poor, uh, was very poor, and didn't have any food and all this kind of stuff, you know. And so they thought they were really doing, you know, the right thing. For sure. You know. Now there was some horrible collateral damage there, uh, and, and obviously we can't in- endorse. Uh, you know some of the the mayhem that that they laid in their wake.
2: But it didn't start out that way. Yeah, when th- they that's what I doing that's it, what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think it
0: just became something It escalated. Yeah, yeah, horribly, which is of course inexcusable. But at the same time, like I said, it's it's kind of hard to still not not only not root for them, but it's certainly very difficult not to feel you know sorrow. At the I end.
2: think that's why people were sympathetic towards them. Yeah, you know they they were heroes. Right. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah. People weren't expecting to be to be cheering at the end of that movie, were they? Like the, you know, the, the. Isn't that funny? Like, you know, wasn't like all oh, the bad people got caught. You were thinking that that cop that shot them up like that mm-hmm. was the worst. Oh
2: yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely, you know, was not very happy with that person
0: at that time. And which <laughs> is indicative of 1967 as a whole, right. <laughs> uh, with the radical 60s, of course, right, yeah, as well. Yeah. You know. What, do you remember any other films around that time that you remember seeing at the theater? Oh.
2: 1967, 68. Um,
0: well, just 67. Just 67. For, for the sake of, of, of this year. But, uh, I,
2: I, really, I really can't think of anything around that year. I know there was some other you know, movies that things. I saw. Things. Uh,
0: Wow, which is a horror film. I'm surprised that you would have ha- have seen that. You know what? What we ought to do? We ought to think. We gotta, just for one second, what we ought to do is I'll pull up a list of top films from 1967, and you know, you know relatively I'm, I'm trying to think of maybe some of the other ones that they might have shown at the film festival uh, this year to, to to celebrate it. And our listeners actually can go to uh, the Dallas International Film Festival website to actually to look that up. Um, But let's see here, let's go to 1967 in film, and let's see what comes up here, uh, okay, so let's see here, so, oh, oh yeah, I definitely know one, of course, The Graduate, of course. yes, yes. Another, you know, I mean, wouldn't that be very indicative of, like, kind of, again, like, kind of these, these chances, these risks that these filmmakers are, suddenly it's kind of a, a gestalt change, isn't it? They're kind of like, you, you know. Definitely. Uh, so the, uh, let's see here. So the the, the notable releases hang on, in nineteen sixty seven. Let's see here. Uh, would have been. Let's see here. Um, let's see here. Um. There is. Let me see if there's something here besides those two. There. Uh, obviously that's the Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, we, we've been talking about. Uh, a Camelot came out that uh on on screen that year. Um, let's see here, what what are a few others that, um, there was Elvis Presley's Clambake, I don't know if that was exactly a, uh, I don't think I saw um, that. but, okay, so another one, of course, would be Cool Hand Luke, of course, yes, you know, yes, remember, yeah. uh, of course, that. with, with, you know, with Paul right. Newman, uh, no, it's Paul Newman. Oh, Paul
2: Newman. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're
0: right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, the whole, like, no man can eat all 50 eggs and mm-hmm. all that, and, right. Uh, let's see here. There's, I'm sure there's, a, there's a, there's a, a few more. Uh, uh, the Dirty Dozen came out that year. Um, what are some? What are, what are a few others that I'm sure that? But, uh, but of course, The Graduate. Think about that. In the same year, The Graduate, Cool Hand Luke, and Bonnie and Clyde. These, these, these films that are just immortal. Uh, that you know, I, I, the the one that came out with Clint Eastwood that year, of course, was the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly.
2: Yeah, okay, that's what I was thinking about. Okay, yeah.
0: And you always kind of equate that with, of course, with uh, you know Ennio uh, Morricone's soundtrack with the Ecstasy of Gold and all right, that, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, what about James Bond? James Bond? I think Casino Royale came out that year. Uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Spencer Tracy and oh, Catherine yeah. Hepburn. Yeah. Now, did you did you see any of these movies at the theater? I saw. Because I know that for you, you you know you, you were you always were kind of, uh, you know, a big movie goer and things like that, whatever. But you know that that's pretty much you know you kinda, you kind of get the the gist of it. I just kind of wanted to to go through the entire um, you know list here to see if there was, if there was any other uh, much more like maybe more reputable you know as reputable films because it would be kind of silly to go through all this and then leave out one and go oh my god I can't believe we talked about 1967 and yeah, yeah, and didn't. Yeah. Uh, and didn't mention, you know, this movie or whatever. But uh, uh, The Taming of the Shrew came out that year with Elizabeth Taylor. Yes. I, uh, Richard Burton as well. It was in that. I did not see that. Did not see that. I did not see that. Okay. Um, to Sir with Love with Sidney Poitier. So you saw that. Did, yes. And let's see here. Um, okay, of course, Valley of the Dolls came out that year.
2: Oh, I saw that too, yes.
0: Okay, with, with, wow. you know, with <laughs> Sharon Tate and, of course, Patty Duke and all I that a year of course before you know unfortunately what happened with Sharon Tate and the right. whole the whole Manson situation. Right. Yeah, a cra- and so things always kind of reflect it, doesn't it? Like you know the times will reflect the art, the art will reflect the times, correct? What about
2: who flew over
0: the 50s? That- uh that that was later. That was later. On. That was later. But but don't you agree that that you know the times reflect the art and art reflects the times, correct? Oh, definitely. definitely. Well, uh so, what's gonna want to thank you for sharing, like I said, that story? Because I mean, because that was something, like I said, that I mean, because you you first started hearing these stories as a teenager, as a child, as a child, yeah. Because you've been you've been real impressionable. So, you first started hearing these stories probably in the the mid to late fifties, and didn't read the book until the late until nineteen seventy eight. So, this was something that you lived with for twenty years, right, right. and had a personal. Like I said, kind of, kind of grappling, you know, with that, you know. Well, I had
2: uh, my sister was very uh, passionate about celebrities and movie magazines, and so All right. I would hear stories about these celebrities growing up too, you know, that she had read in movie magazines. So it was
0: a big deal. The modern day TMZ for the time. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Maybe not quite as salacious, but. Do you have any other films uh, that Faye Dunaway was in that, that, that come to mind that, that, that were so memorable for you? Because I know that uh, what was the one that she was in with Marlon Brando that was kind of, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, you heard, heard of these two giant, you know, screen legends of, uh, you know, together in, you know, in one film. Do you, do you remember which one I'm talking about?
2: Well, I know.
0: Because there was, uh, I want to say, was it was it A Night in Paris or uh, in Paris? No? Um, let me see here. I should have been way more prepared for this. Um, okay, so let's see here. Let's 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 look at Fay away just for a second. Let's look up her filmography around that time. Um, it was. Let's see here. So she was okay. So. So, yeah, so Bonnie and Clyde is actually was her first film, by the way, okay, oh, okay. to get closer on that. She did The Thomas Crown Affair, uh, The Arrangement, Little Big, uh, so I, we'll start with the years, of course, Bonnie and Clyde from 67, Thomas Crown in 68, The Arrangement in 69, Little Big Man in 70, as well as Puzzle of a Downfall Child, The Three Musketeers in 73, and the one I'm thinking of, of course, with Marlon Brando is Chinatown yeah, in 74. So seventy four, she did three films. She did uh, Chinatown, The Towering Inferno, and a sequel as the, Towering Inferno. Right, yes. as the Four Musketeers, 75, Three Days of the Condor, I saw that. Network yeah. in 76, Eyes of Laura Mars in 78, saw that. The Champ in 79, Mommy Dearest in 81, uh, did new movies for Six Years, Barfly in 87. Arizona Dream in 93, and then, and then wait, and then Don Juan DeMarco, uh, that's with Marlon Brando as well, and also with Johnny Depp. <laughs> and so, uh, and then, let's see here, she did Gia in 98, The Yards in 2000, and then The Rules of Attraction that I saw at the theater uh, with Shannon Sossman uh, in 2002, which was her last film. Oh, okay. Okay. And, uh, uh uh, were her last film to date? You know, again because, like I said, you know she's still still working on projects and things like that. You know, and everything else. See, you were getting her mixed up with Joan Crawford, weren't you? No, yeah, you, you were going. How is she making more movies? Like, no, no. no. You're thinking how, Joan Crawford was in The Rules of Attraction in two thousand and two? No, of course not. Well, dear, again, I want to thank you so much for finally being on the show. This was enjoyable, correct? a lot of fun uh, and and so for, and so you have a wealth of information you know a cachet of experience that I want to put to good use with these great stories that I've always heard because while, whereas you heard that story your whole life, I've heard about you hearing about that story That's true. my entire life That's true. so for us to be able to have a medium and a format to be able to come together and share. Our story is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It is. It really is. So can we expect to have you back on sometime?
2: Uh, if it's something I know
0: about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you again. And, and to our listeners out there, we thank you for joining us this week. And uh, like I said, lots of great stuff. Look up some of the great films that we've been talking about, uh, you know, not only from 1967, but a lot of the great films that were in the film festival this year, you uh, Boss City, uh, great, great film, um, so much good stuff uh, uh, that came out, uh, you know, that were in the film festival that you could actually can actually can look forward to uh, this year as, it was a movie, uh, Before I Fall, uh, with, uh, with Zoe Dooch, and, and man, that was fantastic, uh, uh, Russo Young uh, directed the film, Just a lot, a lot of great stuff, Uh, and it was such a great experience, and wanted to thank the the Dallas Film uh, Organization and the Dallas Film Commission, as well as all the organizers from the Dallas International Film Festival uh, that made it such a successful uh, event this year with uh, uh, Jessica Moon and John Wildman and the whole crew there. And so for all my guests and my co-hosts, finally uh, this week, I want to thank you for joining us for another edition of Tricky Kid Radio. Again, I'm your host, Roy Turner, and we'll see you next week.